If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitchmalides here to discuss everything that happened on Match Day 28 with my good friend, Dr. Sidlow. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm okay. I'm excited because it's the um, the start of a, a big European week for Spanish clubs. We've got Real Madrid against Chelsea and Manchester United against Sevilla. So it means that we've got two big games and it means that you can just sit back and relax and, and just watch the games. Right, Sid? Absolutely. That's always the way it works in Europe when they play English teams. I can just take my foot off a pedal for a bit. <laughs> It's a busy week for Sid. It's a very busy week for Sid. So uh, it's good that he's made time, as always, uh, for the podcast here on a Monday. Here's what happened on match day 28. Then Friday night saw Sevilla throw away a 2-0 lead at home to Celta. They were 2-0 up with just a couple of minutes to go. And Celta managed to score twice late on uh, to grab a 2-2 draw. Sevilla playing the vast majority of the game uh, with 10 men after Papagay was sent off in the first half. Yet yeah, another red card in Spanish football. Wait, hold that thought because there's more to come. Then on Saturday, Osasuna beating Elche by two goals to one. Bottom club, Elche, still bottom, still got 13 points. They did take the lead, though, against Osasuna, but they couldn't hang on to pick up anything from the game. Then Espanyol had their first game with Luis Garcia in charge. Not that one, not that one, the other one, the former striker of Espanyol, uh, Luis Garcia, is their new manager. And that first game ended as the previous four matches had ended in defeat 2-1 2-1 at home uh, to Athletic Club. Five consecutive losses to Espanyol. They're the most out-of-form team in the division and they're looking in all sorts of trouble. Uh, Real Sociedad got back to be- winning ways. They beat Getafe by uh, two goals to nil, while Villarreal claimed a famous 3-2 win at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. Some big individual performances in this game. Wonderful uh, goals from Samuel Chukwete. Vinicius Jr. was also sensational as well. So um, lots for us to talk about there. Uh, didn't think... Valladolid against Mallorca was going to be a six-goal thriller on Sunday, but shows how much I know about Spanish football. Valladolid 3, Mallorca 3. It was the first game in charge for Paolo Pezzolano of Valladolid. It nearly ended in a win, but Mallorca equalised with a penalty in injury time. Cadiz claimed their first ever away win against Betis in La Liga. A very memorable victory for the yellow submarine, beating uh, the side from Seville 2-0 at the Estadio Benito Villamarín. Betis seeing their 11th and 12th red cards of the season. They've got more red cards than any team in any of Europe's five major leagues. It's really quite extraordinary how bad they've been losing their heads. And lose their heads is exactly what they did. Anyway, more on that in just a second. Uh, Almeria won the massive six-pointer at the bottom of the table with Valencia. They beat them by two goals to win, to, to, to one. Eight consecutive defeats on the road for Valencia. They're in all sorts of trouble. They haven't managed to get out of the relegation zone. And they're staring down the barrel of only their second ever relegation in their history. They're still there and it still is, I was going to say, 
possibility. It's creeping towards a probability that Valencia are going down. More on them in just a second. Atletico Madrid beating Raya Vallecano by two goals to one in an uh, exciting Madrid derby at Vallecas. Raya also playing with 10 men. Yes, another red card. This one for Florian Lejeune. Uh, but they gave a really good account of themselves, although Atleti uh, managed to uh, hold on for a 2-1 win. Monday night football. It's a Catalan derby in Barcelona in action. Don't usually play on a Monday, but they are today. Uh, Barcelona against Girona at the camp now. Uh, this week, we're going to have a Q&A pod out for patrons on Tuesday. We're going to have a bonus pod out on Friday, talking Real Madrid, Chelsea and Man United, Sevilla and the Europa League. And don't forget, we're still re-releasing one classic episode of TSFP Presents for free each week here on the Monday podcast feed. This week, we're covering the record-breaking 2011-2012 campaign uh, in our latest super season featuring Pep, uh, Mourinho, Simeone, Emery, Bielsa. Uh, make sure you check that one out and make sure you become a patron $4 a month, £4 a month, around the same, and uh, lots of extra content for you there. So, Sydney, let's start off by talking about that game at the Bernabeu uh, on Saturday evening, Real Madrid 2, Villarreal 3. I think this might have been the game of the season, Sid. I think it might be. And the other thing about it is it's a really weird game. So it's a lot of fun. It's very open. It, it sort of seemed, for quite a lot of the game, it sort of seemed kind of not quite right, but so much better for it. In that in the, there was sort of moments of imprecision. There were moments of really good football. There were, there were kind of, there was a sort of a simplicity about the game, an openness about the game that was really, really enjoyable. Really unusual. I think I said to you, I sent a message during the game, I said, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a game with so many basic, the kind of the basic bend the ball up the line pass that paid off. And it kept on happening. And it, it was a really curious sort of match to watch with, um, with lots of good performances. And in particular, you've, you've mentioned Vinicius, but Chukwesi was just unbelievable. Uh, it's one of the best individual performances I've seen for a very, very long time. He, he was absolutely fantastic. Now, of course, the context of the game is that maybe it doesn't matter a huge amount to Real Madrid, but it certainly matters to Villarreal. It puts them very much back in the fight now for the final Champions League place. It really does. Um, I was doing, obviously, the game on, on Saturday night on, on La Liga TV, and we had uh, Victor Sanchez de Lamo, former Real Madrid winger, uh, doing, doing the co-coms. And unfortunately, <laughs> he was saying... Well, after this, there's no way Chukwesi is still at Villarreal next season. This performance will have absolutely thrown him into the spotlight for everyone around Europe. What a performance. And I was saying, no, Victor, don't say that. Don't say that. He won't leave. Um, It was the kind of performance that that, that does grab headlines and and catch a lot of eyes. I mean, Samuel Chukwesi has been at Villarreal since the 2018-2019 season. Previously, he was was in Villarreal's youth academy, the B team as well. He's been around for a while. He's shown flashes of Brilliance. What he hasn't shown is consistency, which is what he's shown in the last few months. Yeah, absolutely. The consistency has changed. I mean, I'm going to give you the stats now because I've been looking at this today. Um, and if you look at his his recent recent weeks, so he scored five. He's got five goals and three assists in his last seven league games. Two goals and three assists in his last six games in Europe, and four goals and two assists in the four Copa del Rey games, which of course are all relatively recent as well. Hmm. And so there's, you're right. There's a there's a significant improvement of his 13 goals this season across all competitions. Eleven of them have come when Kike Setien's been manager, and I think there is a shift there. I don't want to overplay the Setien factor in this because I actually think a big part of it is um, staying fit. You know, and having a consistent run in the team, and I think that's that's played a part as well um, as the style. But yeah, but I, I but, he, but he'd only started two games this season under Emery. Ex- he'd only started two. 
Well, there you go. I must admit, I didn't know that. Um, and that, that's pretty significant. And he's a starter now um, regularly. I think he's fit now regularly. He's got a manager who I think wants to play to his strengths um, possibly more, which maybe maybe surprises some people because, of course, Setien is about a patient build-up and, and one of the things that Samuel's mm. got is incredible pace and you might normally anticipate that a manager like Unai Emery who's more likely to play on the counter-attack and more likely to, 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 to play through transitions would look to to um, to Samuel a little bit more. But I actually think what Setien's done is open the pitch out and give him the ball wide with a defence to run at, if you sort of mean, rather than a defence to run beyond. Uh, and I think that's quite significant. And, and he's he's been absolutely brilliant recently. And there's 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 a consistency there that that wasn't there before. Now, obviously, look, touch wood, this continues because it may not. It may be a flash. And I was looking at, at Villarreal's results. Villarreal is such a strange team. And obviously, this will be reflected mm. in, in in Samuel Chukwesi's, um performances. But listen, look at this. Right, I made a point of noting this down earlier. Five wins out of the last six games. The other ones are draws. So they haven't lost previously to that. It was four losses in a row. And then previously mm-hmm. to that, it was four wins and a draw in five. And then previously <laughs> to that, it was four losses in six. So these these kind of mm-hmm. clumps of either really good or really quite bad. And it's quite difficult to properly put your finger on it. And which is why when you sort of you look at Villarreal and you try to judge what Setien's doing, I still feel like we're not sure, don't we? we we're still sort of not entirely sure where, where they're at with him. I think what you're saying is they're almost nailed on to lose at home to Valladolid next weekend. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exa- exactly. That's kind of the point. It's, it's quite bizarre. And Setien has a brilliant record at the Bernabeu, by the way. He won there twice with Betis. I remember him getting a draw with Las Palmas when I believe they were 2-0 up. Or was it 3-1 up with something like five minutes, one, to, go, five, yeah, five minutes yeah. to go? And they, they were really unlucky to concede two, having completely dominated the game. Um, but I think, I think with Samu, to, to, to speak directly to... To Victor's point, this is a guy who, after five years, with only a year left on his contract, um, not particularly well paid from Villarreal's point of view, um, within the context of Villarreal's salaries, really not very well paid at all, um, was close to joining us. He's only 23. That's the thing. Well, because he joined Villarreal, of course, as a, well, I was going to say as a 17 year old. Officially, he joined them as an 18 year old. The agreement was done Mm. when he was 17, but you can't go into your 18. Um, for all sorts of questions to do with work permits and paperwork and so on. Um, so he officially joins them at 18, partly because the possibility of going to Arsenal wasn't, they weren't able to get it done. Uh, he, was, he, he was in London. There's a photograph of him somewhere. I saw it, saw it today. I, I can't remember where I saw it now. Of him with Wenger and a couple of other people in London. There, were, there, were, there was a brief period training in, in Austria, I think it was. He was in Portugal brief, briefly. And Villarreal was, if you like, the kind of the solution to how do we, how do we enable this guy to start playing in Europe. Um, and I, I think the goal for him, to be perfectly honest, would be, yes, would be to go to the Premier League. Everton came for him in the winter window and he didn't want to go. I suspect in the summer he'll have um, slightly better suitors and apologies for saying that, Everton fans. Yeah, apologies to Everton fans. We do have quite a few uh, listeners. But uh, yeah, it could be that um, Samuel Chukwese manages to go to a, a higher ranked uh, Premier League side in the summer. Or maybe he just stays. Maybe he doesn't leave. Maybe it just isn't inevitable that a mid, mid-table mid Premier League side plays loads of money for one of our biggest stars. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Um, we should mention Vinicius Junior as well, who was really, really sensational in this game. I mean, you said that it didn't necessarily matter to Real Madrid that much. It looked like it mattered to Vinicius. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I was surprised. Uh, I, I'm going to slightly rephrase what I was about to say. I was going to say I was surprised how strong the team was. 
I sort of not because there were a lot of rotations, but I was surprised that the rotations didn't include Benzema and Vinicius. Mm. And Vinicius, correct me if I'm wrong, Vinicius played all 90 minutes as well. He basically plays, uh, he plays every game, yeah. all the time. Yeah. He's never rotated, it's, it's, it's extraordinary that, you know, we talk about Vinicius for all sorts of reasons, the speed, the willingness to run at people. Obviously, there's the whole debate about his personality as well, which is, I think, a different issue. But one of the things that really strikes me is the athleticism, the, not just the speed in, in, in kind of a pure terms, in terms of that's the, this pure talent that you've got, but the, the, the stamina, the resistance, the, 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 the capacity to, to repeat at high intensity levels game after game after game to keep on going at people and, 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 to, and to not have to be rotated. And I was surprised that he wasn't. And you're right, he played really, really well. He had quite a nice battle with Foyth, who, who you know, sometimes I watch Foyth, he doesn't always look the most agile and the quickest of defenders. But he sort of did okay against someone who's just a bit too good, really. <laughs> um, he was a little bit too good on Saturday night, Vinicius, looking very sharp ahead of that Champions League quarterfinal first leg against Chelsea at the Bernabeu on, on Wednesday. Something else to come out of this game, um, something which isn't necessarily to do with uh, with football and something we're going to tread a little bit carefully around because it is now a police matter. Uh, Villarreal confirming last night that their midfielder, Alex Bayern, has filed a complaint with the police after Fede Valverde punched him in the car park after the game. Those are the, I was going to say those are the facts. Those are the, that's what we think we know uh, of what actually happened in this incident. There are suggestions that the provocation from Alex Baena uh, was comments that were made either during this game or during another game. It starts to get a little bit blurred there, so which is why I'm a little bit wary of delving too deeply into this. But I don't think anybody is disputing the fact that Fede Valverde punched Alex Baena in the car park after the after the game, without getting into the details of what the provocation might have been, whether or not it was justified or not. Which violence really is never really justified, even though sometimes, if certain things have been said, you could maybe understand it. It's not justifiable. And Fede Valverde could be in trouble here, Sid. Yeah, it, I, I don't know how this will play out now, partly because, as you say, because it's become a police matter, there's been a formal um, complaint, a denuncia, to the police, which Villarreal have backed him on, and they've said they uh, they believe Alex Bainer's version of, of events, which is he says he didn't say anything um, to Fede Valverde. He didn't say anything of that nature anyway, the nature being, as you say, um, comments that really really do cross the line um, if, if, if they are what, what the accusation has been, which is that, that he was talking about Fede Valverde's at the time as yet unborn son and who during a period when they were having really significant complications with a pregnancy and, and thought they might lose their child. Um, and now we're in the situation, as I say, he's denied that he says this. We're in a situation where it felt like neither of them was going to take this on. That, mm. that you know It was going to be one of those things that was kind of left to be. But the fact that Bayern has decided to take it on, I think is... Is it, it puts us in a situation where we don't know what the punishment would be because if this wasn't a legal case, there would be this would be handed to the competition committee at the federation and they would decide on some sort of suspension. And the chances are there would have been probably a minor suspension for, for Bayana, unless, of course, they could prove what he said and then maybe it would be slightly bigger and a very significant suspension for Fede Valverde because this is legal. I think that basically puts all of the sporting potential sporting punishment entirely on hold. Mm. 
while this now plays out. Now, what happens now? Well, there'll be, I suppose, a, a call to declare. Is that the right word? Uh, to, a call for witnesses and a, and a call for statements from the, from the implicated parties. Yes. And then I suppose we'll see what happens. My guess, I, 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 is this going to be actual bodily harm, perhaps? I, I honestly don't know what the, what the charge would be. Um, mm. Common assault, perhaps. I, I don't know, but but right. yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's it's um, it's it's pretty nasty, to be honest. Mm. Mm. It is, it is. Um, so yeah, forgive us not for not delving too much into it, but there's not much more we know about it, and it is a legal matter now. It is a police issue, so it's a story that obviously we're going to keep track of and keep following, and we'll we'll follow it up as as and when uh, there are developments in that case. Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, another game that took place in Madrid on Sunday evening. You were in Vallecas, Sydney, uh, to see Atletico Madrid uh, beat Raya by two goals to one. I didn't mention at the top of the uh, programme that this result actually lifts Atletico to within two points of Real Madrid in second place. Now, OK, that isn't... It's not amazing. It's not a trophy. It's not anything that anyone is necessarily going to write home about. But if Atletico Madrid could finish above Real Madrid, it would just put a slant on the season and shift it from being, at the moment, a really quite disappointing campaign. Even if they finish third, it's a it's it's a bad campaign for Atletico Madrid going out of the Champions League at the group stages, finishing bottom of that group. You go out of the Copa del Rey to, to Real Madrid and you finish probably 15, 16, 17, 18, 20 points off of the title uh, winners. But if you finish above Real Madrid, it takes that and it elevates it to uh, to actually not a bad campaign at all. So um, so there's still plenty of motivation for Atletico Madrid going into these final few matches. That said, this wasn't their best performance of the last few weeks by any any stretch of the imagination, Sid. No, it wasn't. I mean, I'm going to get, I mean the, the other thing I think that, that if they finished above Real Madrid, what it does is I think it changes a little bit the atmosphere around Diego Simeone. Uh, not least because this is a this is actually a really quite significantly recurring theme. Let me let me try and put this into context for you. In Atletico Madrid's league history, there's been 84 seasons. They finished above Real Madrid only 16 times in 84 seasons. Mm. Right now, this is a team that's won the league 10 times. Right, so so obviously they've only finished above Real Madrid six times without winning the league. Um, but with Simeone, if they were to do it this year, it would be five of the last nine seasons. Mm. They are a better team in La Liga than Real Madrid over the last, all right, not quite decade, if they do it. Now, I'm not saying they will, because they may not. But I think what that does is, if you're talking about 16 in total, or obviously it'll be 17 if they achieve it, of which five would be Simeone's alone, you know, it says something really, really significant about how he shifted expectations and, and so on. Uh, in terms of the game, you're right, it wasn't the greatest of performance. They, they, they seemed really comfortable, having gone 2-0 up and gone 2-0 up almost out of nothing. Um, they seem really comfortable and I think that's part of the reason why the game kind of came back and almost bit them because they sort of thought it was done they started making some changes Rai Vallecano to their enormous credit um, kept going for it put put as many attacking players on the pitch as they possibly could created a, a handful of chances that said it is also true that at 2-0 and on the break Atletico missed two or three really really good mm-hmm. chances you know, they, they really should have ended it a long way before the final whistle. They were then caught out by a, an absolutely brilliant yes. goal, by the way. The, 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 the hit is so clean from... Uh, it's Fran, wasn't it? I'm trying to think which Garcia it was now. It was. Yeah, I was trying, yeah. For a moment there, I had a, 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 a mind fart and I thought, was it, which of the two Garcias was it? It was Fran Garcia. Really, really nice hit. Um, they're not in great shape, Rayo Vallecano. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's now eight games without a win. 
Yeah, it was no wins yeah, in seven they, before the game. They've yeah. been picking up points. They have. I, I don't think they're in too bad. Shape. No, 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 they're not because those, those eight those eight games without a, without a win, it's actually only three defeats. There's been five draws in there. They've played some pretty good teams. Um, they're not quite what they were in earlier in the season. They're struggling to score goals, which wasn't the case earlier in the season. The volume of productivity is down a little bit. I think more importantly, the clarity is way down. Of, of the chances they're creating. And then when they do create really good chances, they're not really taking them. I was mm. struck at the weekend. Uh, I was pitch side and pitch side at Rio is brilliant because you're even closer than you are everywhere else. Cause there isn't really room for you to be away from the goal. So you're pretty much, you know, you're pretty much um, right, right next to or black or, or Dimitrescu. Mm. Um, so you get a really clear sense, even more so than at normal games of the, of the, the speed of the game and so on. And, and, Griezmann, by the way, watching him like that was, was fantastic. But I was really struck from a Raya point of view by Raul de Tomas, who, to be honest, looked like what he is, a guy who hasn't played for six months. He looked, his touch was loose. He, his movement was good. And he was making the right runs. He was offering in the right places. But the ball just wasn't sticking with him. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, he, he kind of worried me a little bit. He's only started three times for Raya. This was his third start. Um, and he doesn't really look like he should be starting. I would, I, yeah, I wouldn't have started him at all uh, last night. No. I think this was this was a chance. This was the manager, wasn't it? Saying, "Listen, you're a big player. This is a big game. Go out and show me that you can do it." Yeah, quite possibly. He, yeah, absolutely. He couldn't. He, he scored 17 goals last season. Said he was a top scoring Spaniard in La Liga. He was really on the verge of being in the Spain yeah. World Cup squad, and now he can't control a ball. It is. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a little bit worrying. We'll see what happens with uh, with uh, with Raúl de Tomás. Uh, want to mention want to mention Cadiz and their victory at Betis, a historic victory, um, first time they've ever beaten Cadiz away from home in La Liga. They hadn't beaten them at all since 1989, so it was a, a really really big occasion. It's a big result as well. Cadiz, who had been playing pretty well in the last few weeks, but not getting the results that their yeah. uh, play necessarily deserved. They'd been conceding late goals. They hadn't been picking up wins, but they, they got this win. Okay, it's true that Betis had two players sent off, shot themselves in the foot massively. The first one is Sergio Canales uh, dragging down Ruben Sobrino, who is a long way from goal. And it feels like a harsh red card, given that A, he's a long way from goal, and B, I think it's Edgar Gonzalez who is That's coming across. He's far away, but it doesn't feel like he's completely through on goal. It feels like there could be a defender coming across. So it feels like a, a harsh red card. Having said that, Sergio Canales, as soon as he committed the foul, he went down, his head went down. He knew that he was going to be sent off. Afterwards, he took full responsibility on social media and said, it's all my fault. I'm sorry. Didn't blame the referee at all. So, okay. Then they had the second red card, which was Aitor Ruibal smacking Fali in the face. Now, he's not the first player in La Liga who wanted to smack Fali in the face. He's the kind of player that winds opponents up. But that is not an excuse for them losing their heads. Then Juan Miranda elbowed um, one of the Cadiz players in the face on a yellow card. He should have been sent off. They should have been down to eight men. And it's quite striking, this Betis team. We've, we, I think we've spoken about it before. They commit the second lowest number of fouls in La Liga, the second lowest. They've had 60 yellow cards, which I think is the third or fourth lowest total. But they've got 12 reds. Something is going badly wrong. And it's strange to see a Manuel Pellegrini side lose their heads like this. Now, I don't know if if he's too nice, if he can't control the squad, if something happens to him. I don't know. But it is something pretty, pretty eye-catching and 
They're shooting themselves in the foot. Fourth spot was up for grabs this season. They're six points off. And I think a large part of that is because they keep having players sent off. Luis Felipe has had three red cards, by the way. That's more than four teams in La Liga have had. He on his own has had three more red cards. The stats are absolutely wild. That's the context of the game. Cadiz played really well in this game. They started well. They looked like they had dangerous players. Uh, Theo Bongonda is playing extremely well on the right-hand side. Uh, he's a bit of a frustrating player if you're a Cadiz fan, I think, because he lacks clarity in the final third, but he's dangerous. He makes things happen. I like the front two of Sergio Guardiola and Chris Ramos. Cadiz, who spent a lot of money, well, not so much money, but they, they, they did a lot of business in the January transfer yeah. window. They bought in seven players. They cleared out five players. And I was looking at the stats... Over 25% of their goals this season have been scored by players signed in the January transfer window. So they needed goals badly and they've done the business uh, to try and bring goals into the team. And one of the goals was scored this weekend by Chris Ramos, who is a local lad. Now, when I say he's a local lad, he's literally from the city of Cadiz and he's from Barrio de la Laguna, which is the barrio right near to the stadium. Uh, he grew up watching Cadiz play. Uh, he talked about going on a, on bus rides to watch them in, in Bilbao, going 18 hours on a bus just to watch the team play. He is a massive Cadiz fan. This was his first ever start for Cadiz in La Liga, and he scored the second goal. It was a it was a beautiful moment when he celebrated actually because he just put his hand his head in his hands like he couldn't actually believe what was going on, and then he just fell flat on the floor, face first, just overwhelmed with the magnitude of what, what he'd done, finally completing that lifelong dream of playing for his club and scoring in Primera. So that was a that was a really nice moment. But Cadiz have been on an upward trajectory, and if the league started on the 1st of January, Sydney, they'd be ninth. They'd be two points behind Real Madrid. This is a team that we feel are going to be okay because of the business they did in January. They stuck with the manager as well after they lost their first five games of the season without scoring. And, they, and as we said, on an upward trajectory. I remember being at the the game against uh, Athletic really early in, early in the season. Oh, because I'd, they got I, hammered. Because I was, I was, ham- I was, I was, I was about to say I was hammered. I probably was. I was on holiday. I was on holiday down there, and they they really did look awful, and you really did worry about them. And and you're right, the business they've done in the winter window has worked really, really well. I think there's been a, a degree of patience with the manager, which hasn't been shown by the, the other teams down there. You look at their results in recent weeks, and you mentioned it when it's two weeks running, 95th minute and 105th minute that they conceded goals that they didn't really deserve to concede. And when you look at teams down the bottom of the table. At this stage of the season, and bear in mind, of course, that there's still, what is it, 30 points up for grabs. I think it's 10 mm. weeks left, isn't it? Um, so, there's, you know, there's still a, a lot that can shift around the bottom of the table. But you're always kind of looking at teams and thinking, who's got something? You know, mm. Who can come out of this? And to be honest, until Christmas, you would have looked at Cardiff and thought, I'm not sure if they have. I'm not sure if there's, a, there's, there's enough there to believe, not just that... You know that that luck can favour them, or that things can fall their way. But to believe that there's enough there, if you like, to even try and get out of it. Mm. Um, of course, they lost they lost Lucas Pérez, who, who I believe was their top scorer when he went, and and they've replaced him really well. They were they were unsure about letting him go. It, it, it's turned out okay for for everybody there. But I, I think I now look at the teams down the bottom and think, yeah, they should be okay. Now look. Two or three bad results in a row, which is not impossible, and I believe they play Real Madrid next, don't they? I think it's Real Madrid this weekend coming. Then it is it might be great thinking... time to play Real Madrid, by the way. I suppose so. It is yes, absolutely. Between the two Chelsea games, <laughs> you, yeah. you, you, you know, you'd be playing Real Madrid's B team, possibly with not a huge amount of motivation. That is true. It's a very good time to play Real Madrid. Um, but I, I look at them now and think, yeah, they 
they might well be safe. Well, not, they're not safe now, but what I mean is they might well be in a position where they where they get themselves safe. Uh, they're four points above the relegation zone. Of course, it remains unbelievably tight at the bottom of the table. It's been like that all season. Five points separating Sevilla in 13th from Espanyol in 19th. So nobody is safe from that group of teams at the moment. Uh, but also there are some sides that are giving you feelings that they are going to get out of uh, trouble. And, and Cadiz look like they're, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be uh, one of those teams. Although... We don't know. There's still a lot of points up for grabs. Um, before we go, um, we'll tell you what happened in the Segunda. There's lots of things we didn't touch upon on the podcast today. If there's something you want us to talk about, send us a question and we'll answer it uh, over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP on our Q&A pod out tomorrow. In the Segunda, Abar are top on 65 points after their 1-1 draw with Levante, who are third. Las Palmas, who are second, were beaten at home by the mighty Real Oviedo. Can you guess what score it was? It was 1-0. i tell you what, uh, you know, for, for someone who's been moaning about 1-0s all season, I'll have this every day. <laughs> this is you, an amazing result. Of course you will. Amazing and completely unexpected by uh, uh, Oviedo. Granada, Alaves and Cartagena are the other team in the playoff places. Alaves will go second if they beat Andorra tonight. That's what's happening in the Segunda. This week, as we mentioned, there are uh, two big European clashes involving English and Spanish sides. Wednesday is Real Madrid against Chelsea in the Champions League. Thursday is Manchester United against Sevilla in the Europa League. Looking forward to both of them. We'll discuss those games and the rest of this week's news on our bonus podcast on Friday, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Why not consider becoming a member and getting loads of bonus content? It's only £4 dollars, euros a month. And that's it for this week's edition of TSFP. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sydney. And we'll speak next week. Adios. Very much a pleasure. Cheerio. Cheerio.